Welcome to Black Siders, the no-holds-barred conversation about news and current affairs that we feel like talking about. I'm Peter McGillivray. And I'm Gemma McKinnon. So Gemma, what's good? What's your update for tonight? The kids are back at school. Last week they had some, like, two lame little days. The high school only had one day. Just Friday, that's it. Um, But this week, they're back for reals. Friday was amazing because I had all of them in some form of care slash school and I just got to have a leisurely breakfast uh, with with my significant other and uh, just get some peace and quiet. So that has really been – it's the best time of year. It was getting really tense. I'm really happy that they're back at school and they're loving their new schools. Fantastic. Um, More on that later, I I would say. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, I knew that it was probably time for everybody to get some relief in your household and the kids to get back to school when you sent the group chat the photo of PAC, uh, your (laughs) partner's seeing eye guide dog who was sitting out in the backyard in the fog to get away from the kids. (laughs) In your house. It was I, – I just looked around. It looked like a ghost dog <laughs> sitting sitting in the backyard just thinking this is the only place where I can just have some time to myself. It's getting to everybody. <laughs> um, well, we, we talked about all of the kids getting back to school and I think they're all really excited, especially all the kids starting high school. So many kids – I mean, we're at the age now. I'm at the age now where – Lots of my friends' children and my nieces and nephews are starting high school or finishing high school. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> a little overwhelming to yeah. think about. Um, but my update, I have my f- first full week back at work in the office uh, and I'm still riding that holiday wave of uh, good vibes. So, you know, I'm hoping that I can just carry it through until March um, and you know, when we'll be in Mardi Gras mode, which will be the first, I suppose, party milestone of the year. Yeah. We're hoping to do a special Mardi Gras episode of Black Side. I still haven't recovered from World Pride, so we'll see how we go. How have you gone with your first week back at work? Did you make it through? Did you feel like, I often feel like five days is too long. It's just not. It's not a practical number Look, of days. I had to um, the stamina. The stamina is not quite there yet. I did get to Wednesday afternoon and kind of have that moment of a big sigh, and I have two more days to go. And you can't take an afternoon nap. No more afternoon naps. Which I became so used to. Yeah. See, the halfway the the day that I um, the week that I started on a Wednesday, and then worked through the the week worked on invasion day that was a good little test like a bit of a build-up so work three days have the weekend um but the stamina this week without having the afternoon nap and just kind of oh god listen to us it's a challenge it's, we'd, what, shout yeah. out to all those full-time workers <laughs> out there you can do it um but yeah no it was it's been it's been good I mean I get the benefit of as I've talked about and we'll talk about again having a wonderful group of colleagues and work and it's just planning out all of my trips that I'll be um, making out to Walgett this year um, now that I'm a licensed driver. Yeah. That's exciting. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. 
So, welcome everybody. You're listening to Black Siders on 2SER. I'm really excited about our yarn tonight, Gem. Um, we are going to be discussing the issue, issue if you like, of phenomenon. the phenomena, the phenomena <laughs> of online misbehaviour, but specifically on social media. Some might call it uh, social media pylons. Some might call it social media beef. But we're really interested in, I think, for you and I have to be users of social media for quite a number of years now, both professionally, personally, in the community. We've really witnessed some um, pretty interesting and honestly gobsmacking online behaviour. Um, yes, we're we're excited slash scared to be doing this episode. <laughs> it, look, there is some trepidation, but we promised no holds barred. So I think this is really where we want to perhaps have some of those conversations out loud. Hashtag brave. Hashtag brave. Hashtag brave. I mean, I consider myself to be a very online person. Um, always have been. I've I've been on Facebook long enough that I was one of the first users where you had to have a .edu email address. Yeah, out up. of town. Yeah, yeah. So I was in my first year of uni, and there was an exchange student from the US, and she showed me. She's like, "Oh, have you seen Facebook? This is how you do it. It's for college students and university students to kind of connect on Facey. Um, Facey. I don't think we were calling it Facey then." <laughs> But I've been on I've been online for a long time, and I've used Instagram um, in the ways that you know we have the evidence now that says it's really harmful. You know, when I feel like I'm perhaps part of the cohort that's patient zero, which shows you how Instagram has. You were Don rates. Draper smoking it up at the in the office. You didn't yeah. know. No, but I mean, we did we know? I mean, we knew it was something, but the the idea of the likes. And the impact of the dopamine and the getting hooked and like all of that, all of that really negative stuff that we now know about how seeking validation online can be really destructive and harmful. I feel like I lived through that and have weaned myself off Instagram, using Instagram in the ways that um, now I often don't even really recognise or understand. Well, that's the crazy thing. People have to go on uh, social media detoxes now, right? It's like you do a dry July and uh, no Insta November. It's rehab. You go to rehab to get get yourself off the addiction of People are addicted to the pokes. But I I think that there is. Do people still do that? (laughs) Pokes aren't still a thing. Um... (laughs) Thank goodness. I, yeah, no, no more poking. I but love to poke. <laughs> did you poke? We'll talk about that <laughs> later. Um, but I guess the, the real coliseum of online battle, if you like, yeah, is Twitter. Is Twitter. Um, you know, it, there's a reason why it's called the bad so side. So FKA Twitter. Yeah, sorry. Formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. Yes, but I guess our, you know, when we when we were thinking about this episode and talking about this episode, it was the idea that we would use it as a bit of a sharing circle therapy session, if you like, in our rehab from Twitter, <laughs> of some of the kind of worst examples of online bullying that have been really harmful. And we are both not really on X, right? 
Not um, anymore. Uh, yeah. Uh, but we have spent a lot of time on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and have a lot of uh, insights, which I think, which I didn't realise that other people don't necessarily know about as well. Mm. So I think Twitter is a particular type of community um, that to, and I've said this a million times, to the people on Twitter, it is real life. Like it is everything. People's fame or, you know, notoriety on Twitter, some people tend to feel or think translates into having fame IRL and they don't seem to understand that that's not true it's not true like it's not real it's not real and one of the things that we've witnessed recently as Pete has been introducing me to the world of blue sky and we're trying to sort of see what that's going to do, I don't know, um, is seeing people who had quite a lot of followers and spent a lot of time on Twitter, how they're now coping or rather not coping now that nobody's on X. No one's there. They're just literally, I mean, literally yelling in into the into the void now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what I love about social media particular mm-hmm. and, and sites like Twitter and Blue Sky and Threads is that it's just my opportunity to, you know, a thought might pop into my head and sometimes I feel the compulsion to say it out loud and these days I might write it down. Um, but I think for people who are used to there being somebody else on the end of that, somebody who's going to react in some way, whichever way, they don't really seem to care, um, that that has to have some sort of psychological, mental health toll um, that it takes on you to have some sense of relevance taken away almost it's, instantly. It's, yes, I agree with you, especially because going to back to the point that you made about the influence or the attention that people are able to grab from using uh, sites like X, formerly known as Twitter, um, there are some really powerful examples of that. For example, um, one of them being um, Indigenous X, which is an, a Twitter account or was a Twitter account that has been used to amplify and give prominence to Indigenous voices and positions on um, matters and topics which for a long time had been marginalised just because of institutional racism in mainstream media, for example. So the campaign to ask some questions about the recognised campaign. Yes. Is that a good way to put it? Yes. Ask some serious questions. Exactly. To, to provide a critique in a way which is informed and has some understanding of the broader political landscape. And also Australia Day. So it was the Indigenous X account that first started to retweet Indigenous scholars, writers, journalists, activists on why Australia Day um, was is bullshit and to explain why and to make those arguments and start the debate, which led to, you know, a mass really de-investment from Australia Day and what it means. So there is some, you can see clear examples where individuals in their advocacy have really used Twitter um, 
as the vehicle to really activate something good. But I guess the question for me is, is all of that undermined and rendered useless when the ways in which those conversations happen uh, can be so violent and often laterally violent? Well, I think that our experience on Twitter and I, you know, and, and I think black Twitter is a, I, I feel anyway, though I have no basis for comparison as I am black and on Twitter, um, but I feel like it is a, was a very special kind of universe. Um, and I think what Indigenous X did was almost sort of bring social media back to its intended purpose, which is let's provide platforms for regular everyday people to get their thoughts, feelings and opinions out there. Because so many people using social media and the way algorithms work and whatnot, you know, you're only really getting heard if you've got a certain amount of followers. Indigenous X sort of brought us back to, okay, well, we're going to promote this person who's a builder and he's going to run the account this week and talk about things from a builder's perspective. I don't know if that ever happened, but um, but I feel like what occurred is that it got so toxic and so dangerous uh, and unsafe for people to be there, to be present and be involved, um, that it has essentially imploded on itself. And now we have nothing. Yeah, it, you was, know? it was a victim of its own success in a way. I mean, one of some of the, for our listeners who perhaps um, didn't participate or aren't on Twitter or didn't participate in that way. Um, these communities on Twitter that were able to emerge around um, identities or, co- or communities of people um, were, you know, there were so many examples of that and Black Twitter was one of them. Um, but some of the behaviours which really distracted from the really important, um, you know, the, the, the communal Twitter account where you'd have a different person running the account each week included things like um, subtweeting. So the just wanting to get into explain some, what subtweeting is. Yeah. So so sub subtweeting is um, the practice of um, being quite specific, but about your complaint or grievance, but de-identifying the subject that you're talking about in your. So you're talking about somebody. Um, but you're not being specific or giving any details about who that is and trying to generalise out the complaint. But it's quite obviously, it's very specific. It's to, very pointed yeah. at somebody. And a lot of the time people know exactly who it is that you're talking about, right? You just haven't actually said their name. Yes. I think that the subtweet was a particular a particularly sort of interesting approach to take and generated a lot of very interesting conversation because what it demonstrated to me is that everybody's doing the same things. So there would always be people that would respond to a subtweet saying, are you talking about me? How don't you say it to my face? But there'd be like five or six people doing that. So it's like everybody was doing Or you're taking a screenshot and sending it to somebody. Do you think she's talking about me? <laughs> Who on earth could you be talking about? What? And then it reminded me of that meme of the Spider-Man, like the multiple Spider-Mans all pointing at each other. Um, that was, yeah. 
I think one of the other things that I've been thinking about a lot in the context of thinking about this subject is that it reminds me a lot of road rage. Mm. So there is, and I don't know if this is a real thing or if I'm just saying it, but I feel like there is this particular sort of safety that comes with being in the car, right? You can honk, you can flip the bird at all these people, but it's like road rage is this thing that stays within the car. Everybody's swearing, but they're swearing with the windows up. Mm. The second that somebody opens the door and gets out of the car, you're taking it to the next level. Like this is breaking the code of road raging. It's breaking the code. And it's like that with Twitter. If you are subtweeting, then it was sort of like, okay, yeah, we're all cool with the subtweeting. We're throwing them out there. It's fine. But the second people started naming names or as you know, we often saw was the case, particularly towards the end of having these uh, little group of DM groups. What do we call that? Uh, the group chat? Yeah, like group chats on Twitter. Yeah. Screenshotting people's twi- tweets and talking about them. Once you sort of make it real and people started getting doxxed. Yeah. I don't know if that's the correct. I think so. Doxed. Doxing. Do, do you mean like sharing the receipts or I've got the receipts. Yeah, and like approaching people's because then it was like, this cafe is racist. Everybody ring this cafe and tell them that they're racist and you're not going there anymore or whatever it was or we don't like this person so we're going to ring their boss and tell them that. I think that kind of took things to a level that was – that that then has pretty significant – mental psychological impacts on a person that go beyond turning off the phone or you know putting it away that then inter- it, it's basically encroached on real life mm-hmm. um, almost you know it, in the same way that sort of cyber bullying does to well in particular to children and young people um, I, I mean I, I think that that really was taking it a little too far. Yeah, equally the pile-on, like the public pile-on. I think that was really hard to watch um, as a, you know, active Twitter user. And so I guess I'm I'm interested in exploring this idea of, you know, how do we – does anybody come with clean hands to this stuff? Like a, what about people who just kind of voyeur on Twitter or what – I've heard um, be, people being described as lurkers, just kind of there watching, you know, just meddling, egging people on, you know, being um, a little bit more aggressive but subtle about it. I think that's a really interesting question because, you know, I, I think one of the things you need to keep in mind is that – the people who are very active on um, social media in, in in the way that we're describing are actually people that are generally in positions of some level of power in their tiny, you know, um, spheres of influence, but power nonetheless. And so I have seen circumstances. I mean, you can sort of talk about this generally and it still <laughs> refers to several um several actual sort of cases, but where people, for example, have questioned the uh, 
somebody's identity, questioning whether or not someone is really black, questioning, you know, who their grandparents are or, um, you know, does this person have a right to speak on behalf of mob? I don't know who their cousin is, so it mustn't be true. Um, You would, I mean, very rarely do you see that happen in real life, particularly in a professional setting. But for some reason on Twitter, it was like no rules. You can say whatever you want. And then, yeah, you would get this pylon. And I think a lot of the time that pylon was triggered by the fact that the person who started it was a person of influence, a leader in the community. Um, oh, and by the leader in the community, I mean a leader in the Twitter community, which is not real. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, and I, and I was, there were times when I thought, okay, now I need to ring this, and a lot of the time I did, right, mm. ring this person say and check on them and say, are you okay? This is really wrong what's happening. Um, but did I ever, like, you know, was I ever an upstander on Twitter? Not, not often, I mean, if the, ever. Yeah, I guess the, the idea that you can have innocent bystanders is really, it's an interesting one because you're either just watching it unfold and making the decision to not engage so as to not further escalate the situation or become a target yourself or, you know, disengage, go touch some grass and, as you as you described, actually check in on someone if you happen to know who they are or have ways to check in on them. Because that, you know, the legitimate questions of community safety and if you've fared income about it being a real community, then that's what you have to have set up and have those mechanisms to be able to check if people are okay. So... You're listening to Blacksiders on 2SER and tonight we're talking about social media bust-ups or beef, if you like, um, and some of the affray-like behaviour I'd describe it as on the feeds. 100%. For all of the any non-criminal lawyers out there, affray being public fighting. With a group. In a group. Public fighting in a group. So... You mentioned um, sometimes the the seeds of these uh, breakouts of conflict can be um, leaders, self-appointed sometimes, um, but some recognition of influential people who are really kicking off the poor behaviour. So who is responsible for pulling people up? Who is what, – what is a – you know, I don't think – I can't recall any particularly – good examples or clear examples of how you self-moderate. And that was always the idea for these online communities, that they would self-moderate. And I guess that's how, you know, just using black Twitter as a bit of an example, I think that we let things get out of hand a lot of the time. A hundred percent we let things get out of hand. And I think that, you know, ordinarily, or I would say what, the normative approach in this situation, I believe, should be that the 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 elders, the senior people, the people in positions of power, uh, should be the ones to step up and stand in and say that behaviour is not okay. That didn't happen on Twitter. Um, I think the most successful um, approach to it seemed to be you just leave, right? Mm-hmm. You just leave, you leave a little tweet saying, I'm not coming here anymore because you're all bullies. 
and you go off and you live your best life. That seems to be the way that, uh, you know, I've seen multiple examples where people have been the either the, the victim of bullying or tried to do something in the space and it's turned into nothing and they've decided, you know what, this isn't real and remind yourself this isn't real. I'm just going to step back from it and go and do what I want to do. And those people have ended up being super duper successful. Um, And uh, I think, and maybe we'll get one of them on the show sometime, are much happier now than they were when they were stuck on Twitter. Absolutely. And I think I agree with you about all of that. I've always asked myself the question, you know, what is it, what are the conditions which create are creating this type of behaviour. So is it just a bunch of really passionate people who care a lot and have a lot to say? The anonymity component of it, you've mentioned as far as the comparison to the road rage, which I think is a really good example of that mindset where you can just, you know, say what you want and not really feel like anyone's paying attention. Um the nihilism, I think that the there was like a slow creep into this attitude that or cynicism, like deep cynicism that nothing is really good and, and Twitter's not the place to talk about anything that's good or benign in just living life and Yeah, because they then there was like the introduction of this happy news. Um, where, yeah, it was sort of like you had to actually actively bring something positive to the table in this acknowledgement that 99% of what was out there was sad and complainy and, yeah, and, and it made then transferred to you and you automatically felt that everything was sad and complainy and everything sucked. Yeah, I've been avoid. largely off social media for a while and I'm way happier than I was when I was on it. That's for sure. So have you, can we have a little yarn about our withdrawal from Twitter, formerly known as Twitter, now known as X, uh, and how we've been faring since disengaging? Do you do that thing where you pick up the phone like one second after you've put it down or if you take off the the apps you just pick it up and then you forget was our friend was saying that she just kept checking her um like supermarket rewards card app to see how many (laughs) points she had That's hilarious. The weather just keep you just become a weather expert. But it was like you know, was it last week? I didn't have a thumbs down. Like mm. I, I do find that when I'm doom scrolling, uh, my anxiety just goes through the roof. Not mm. because I'm looking at anything particularly interesting. Not because anything, but it's just that it's like coming walking home after school when you've been in trouble at school that day and walking home and wondering if they'd called your mum. You know that nervous terror? Yeah. Yeah, I do. What about you? Because you're a a big grammar. I I love the gram. Um, But I had a viral tweet when the Queen died. Oh, my God, I remember that. Yes. Yeah, and (laughs) that actually helped me realise that Twitter is hilarious in a horror show type of way. What was the tweet? It was actually wasn't mine. Our friend Damien said something really funny and I tweeted it. And it was it was the that really great tweet where people can interpret it whatever. It's like a um it's like when you look at the 
the picture of the dress and you can't tell whether it's gold or blue. Like it could be either. It's a choose your own adventure kind of tweet. Yeah. It was, yeah, because it was either genuinely sad. It was genuine uh, sad or about the queen or a real like dig. sarcastic It was, dig. what was it? It was something like, um, oh, we... We're not being insensitive. We're just decolonizing your grief. And it was in response to <laughs> all of the critique that was coming about why it was really like why no one was sad and perhaps why people would be seeing this as perhaps progress that the Queen had died. Anyway, that was when I just kind of watched the the fights that started to be had in the responses and the replies to the tweet. Thousands and thousands of thousands of people just replying to each other in in the replies, liking it. Like it was just like a just seeing it all blow up. And I didn't even read probably more than the first five replies and there were thousands of them. And <laughs> you're just that like again, coming back to another meme. This is very millennial of us. But you know that one with the little girl? She's like grinning and the house is on fire. Yes. You're the girl. I'm the I'm the kid. And after that, I was just like, this is, I'm done here. I've got one viral tweet. I can go. But I, I pretty much disengaged at that point. And I think my last tweet, I don't know if they're still called tweets, what do they call them on X now, was a, um, a something about Kissinger dying and and. That was it. I was Wah. like, okay, this is a wham. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good time to, to ghost out of here. But I did have a fantasy that I would read everyone for filth on Twitter. A lot of the characters that we've been kind of talking about today, in a way. That we've been subtweeting about. Yeah. <laughs> like, just read them for filth individually and then delete my account. That would have been a lot of fun. Didn't do that. Um, but yes, I, and, and in terms of the people who, that we know, don't, we don't know personally, but that we saw get bullied off social media, um, it would be excellent to have those people on as a guest at some point talking about the work that they do, which is really impressive and important. Um, yeah, so let's do that. You're listening to Black Siders on 2SER and we are about to finish up, but we've just been talking about social media beef and uh, the flare-ups of online conflict that can cause real-world harm, Um, but we try and remind ourselves that it's just social media and here we are in the real world in the reality of things. Um, But we always still like to um, think about the socials as far as thumbs up and thumbs down or even just in our little world gem so your thumbs up this week my look I tried to think about things from a social perspective but I just cannot get over school being back (laughs) Um, so my thumbs up is for public schools I didn't go to public school I'm 13 years of Catholic education right here but I am really loving how um free and individual kids are allowed to be at school these days. It's, you know, the uniforms, just like wear this shirt and then whatever you want, whatever shoes you want. I couldn't wear, I had regulations around what kind of hair elastic I had to wear. So thumbs up public schools for letting kids be themselves. Love it. I mean, I wonder, I often wonder what my primary schooling had a pretty strict, I went to a public primary school pretty strict uniform rules but you're right there are, there's some real free scope I love that we're moving on from it yeah who cares who cares yeah who cares 
Um, my thumbs up is the recent support or emergence, if you like, of mob wife aesthetic, which is all of the fashion magazines, fashion with a capital F, are talking about it, which is basically um, the mob wives from The Sopranos. And um, mob wives. Mob Isn't that a show? Mob wives. Yes, there's also the, the reality <laughs> TV show yeah. Mob Wives. But on Instagram, it's the aesthetic of your um, Camilla Sopranos. Camilla? Camilla, yeah. Yeah. Um, and some of the other characters. So think, you know, fur coats, beautiful Lots of hair, animal print, lots, lots of, of gold, print, big hair. Metallic makeup, big hair. Um that type lots of, of titties lots of titties tits out yeah and I had I shared this on my Instagram over the last couple of weeks including a photo that I took of you <laughs> in exactly this aesthetic two years ago maybe three years ago I, yeah I am my wife ahead of the curve. <laughs> and the reason why I also love it even more which was brought to my attention just today by our friend Damien again, who reminded me that Mob Wife also is a bit of a double entendre in that it's Mob Wife. Ah, yeah. Which is perfect for you again. I am. Because what are we, we were saying Real Housewives of Narromine. We were saying Real Housewives of St. <laughs> Peter's. St. Peter's. I, think, I love Mob Wife aesthetic because basically to me, and I think – the way that I dress is just what I feel great in. That's more what, like... That's the spirit of the yeah. life. It's like, I look hot. Ways. I feel fierce. Um, get out of my way. Yeah. Tony. <laughs> uh, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Thumbs down is people who do not desex their pets. That's most, like, obviously because of... Overpopulations, all these animals in the pound, all all of that, but also I don't know what. There's so many dog balls around, dog balls everywhere, <laughs> and I don't understand why what it is. And I look, I'm not going to say it, but I am going to say it. It's a it's a man thing, right? Because me, or this like I can't take his manhood away. It's a dog. It's the patriarchy. Just yeah, always is. I just. Spay and neuter your pets. That's it. You heard it here. Pete, thumbs down. My thumbs down is the very loud luxury as opposed to the quiet luxury, which is also really annoying, but the very loud luxury at the Australian Open. Which So this year um, Louis Vuitton was a major sponsor. They did this full kind of takeover of the Australian Open um, they had all of these kind of high-end brand, like so branding everywhere. There was one influencer post that I saw on Instagram where she was posing in front of the ten- tennis courts and, and she, the caption on the Instagram post was um, paying the rent. <laughs> <laughs> it was so out and I hate it. I just hate it. It's the worst. It's the worst parts of it tennis. It really does highlight, though, right, that the sports that get a lot of coverage in mainstream media are the sports that traditionally you have to have a bit of cashola to participate in, right? Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's it's I just think that it's a it's such it's a gauche. Ugh, it's yuck. <laughs> it's gauche. <laughs> You're listening to Blacksiders on 2SER, and we're almost ready to say goodnight to you all. Um, but before we do, Jem, I just want to say thanks for the really great yarn tonight about something which is uh, a bit, you know, a bit hard to talk about out loud. Given but let's do more of it. Yeah. More talking out loud about how problematic social media is. Absolutely. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to Blacksiders on 2SER. We hope to have you with us next week. See ya. Night, Jim. Night, Jim.